This is Jason Hansen, pastor of Anchor Church. Thank you for jumping onto our sermon podcast. My prayer is that as you listen to this sermon, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus and that you live for him in all of life. Enjoy the sermon now. Good morning, you can open your Bibles to the book of Mark. Uh, chapter 1. We're going to be in the Christian Standard Bible, CSB. Uh, if you're new, that's a version that, that we use if you want to follow along verbatim. And we're continuing on this series uh, in the book of Mark. Where we want to see Jesus, see what he's like and who he is, and then be shaped by him. And this morning, we're going to see an aspect of Jesus' character uh, that I think is going to challenge us uh, in, in a really good way. Uh, I want to tell you about my first car. My first car was a 1987 Chevy Sprint. Most of you probably don't know what that is, so I have a picture for you. That's not my exact car, but man, it's close. It looked just like that. It was tiny. Those cars actually weigh only about 1,600 pounds. They're very light. They're very small. I got a lot of comments of, oh, you have a clown car. You know, it was, it was basically a glorified go-kart is essentially what it was. Uh, but what was fun about this car was it is so light. It was actually turbocharged, believe it or not, that it could be very fun. I was 16. Uh, we had off-campus lunches. And so, naturally, during lunchtime uh, in high school, my buddies and I, three friends, and I would pile into my car and go do stupid things in it. We would get a really fast lunch off the dollar menu at Burger King, and then we would go drive around in my car and do stuff that we shouldn't. And one of the things that we would do is there is a really steep railroad track in downtown Chandler. It's actually still this way. It's off of Erie and Hamilton, if you know downtown Chandler. Kids, check it out today in your car. Your parents will love me. There's a really steep railroad track. It's actually so steep that as you come up to it, you can't see the other side. And naturally, we decided we're going to catch air over this thing. And so we would go sometimes and try and get my car to catch air. And there was one particular day where, um, you know, the, the takeoff from the stop sign, I was chirping through the gears perfectly. And we were flying, <laughs> yeah, chirping through the gears. And we were flying up to that, that, that railroad track and we hit it and everything went in slow motion. There was actually a photographer outside capturing it. And then they submitted it to the writers of Fast and Furious and that's where they got their ideas. None of that happened, just kidding. But we went over, I'm pretty sure we caught air. I think we caught air. Uh, but as we came down to the other side, what we didn't see was that there was a car at the stop sign on the other side of the railroad tracks. And as we went flying over, that car laid on its horn and honked at us as we flew by it. Now, sorry to be irreverent, but this is what 16-year-old boys do. We all told the driver of that car that they were number one, if you know what I mean. Four hands went out the window, and we gave this driver of the other car the one-finger salute, as 16-year-old boys do, right? Well, as we went by and we all saluted him and he honked at us, that obviously upset him, and he peeled behind us and actually cut me off and angled his car in front of me to where I couldn't get away. I was stuck right there, and the driver of that car jumped out, and he came around his car screaming at us, and in one hand, he was holding up a badge, Chandler PD, and in the other hand, he was holding his gun. Now, 16-year-old Tyler learned something about authority in that moment, and the levels of authority because there was a few levels of authority expressed in this situation. The first level was as we went over the railroad tracks, a middle-aged man honking his horn at a bunch of teenagers in displeasure. Don't do that. That was the first level of authority, and we told him what we thought. The second level of authority was when he cut us off, and now we know this guy is serious. The third level was when we saw the badge. Now I'm worried I'm going to get in trouble, right? I see a badge. I can see it says Chandler PD. But the fourth level 
had me really scared. His hand was on his gun. There's levels of authority, isn't there? And I think, I'm going to say this with confidence, because we are so used to broken authority in our world, whether it's from our government, whether it's from our schools, whether it's from our businesses, even in the church. There is broken authority structures all around us where we see the abuse of authority. And if you're, I think if you're like me, you're tempted to import our broken understanding of authority onto God as ultimate authority. And so you might find yourself somewhere on those four levels as you think about God. He's like the annoying middle-aged driver up in heaven honking his horn at you doing the stuff that you want to do and know he doesn't want you to do. And maybe even right now as you sit here, your life and maybe even you literally are telling him he's number one in the same way that we did with that driver. Maybe you view God in that second level of authority like he has blocked you off through circumstances or or something else. Maybe you're a teenager and it's your parents that you view as God using to block you off from getting where you want to go and just having fun to do what you want to do. Maybe you're not a teenager. Maybe you're an adult and it's your circumstances where you feel like God's just blocking me from having fun and doing what I want to do. I think many of us can resonate with the idea of God holding up the badge, right? He's the lawgiver. He's holding up the badge and saying, don't do that. Stop it. So we think about God's authority, or for some of us, maybe you think about God's authority and you view it like the the gun on the hip. He is ready to just blow you away at any moment at the slightest mistake. The reason why we feel that way is because we have broken systems of authority. Now, I recognize I'm a millennial. I'll own it. Millennials don't like authorities. I drive an electric car. I'm a millennial, okay? Millennials don't like authority. But I think this is deeper than that. I think if you can look around, you can see objectively, we don't have a lot of good uh, examples of authority, especially not how God holds his authority, as we're going to see this morning. What if I told you that the way God uses his authority is nothing like the world uses its authority? What if I told you that understanding God's authority actually shapes your Christian walk in ways that you may not even realize. And that because we've imported broken, broken experiences of authority onto God, it's shaping our Christian walk in a broken way. What if I told you all of that? Well, this morning, that is what I'm telling you. And I want to show you that God uses his authority differently. Our big idea this morning, my, my sermon in a sentence is this. Jesus, King Jesus, uses his authority to build you up, not cast you down. We get a picture this morning. Who, who then is this Jesus? As we think about his authority as king, we've been using that phrase, King Jesus, a lot in this series. So how does this king use his authority? Can we just take our understanding of authority and, and put it on him and hope for the best? No, Jesus uses his authority differently. We're going to see he uses it to build you up, not cast you down. We're going to find this in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 34 this morning. Let's read it together. We'll break down the text and seek to live it out together. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Mark 1, 21 says this. They went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? 
Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions. He shouted with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed, and so they began to ask each other, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him, that being Jesus, about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So word of the Lord to us this morning. What we're going to do is try and spend some time understanding Jesus' authority. How does he show it, and how does he use it? Those are kind of simply the two questions we're going to ask. The first being how the king shows his authority. How does Jesus show I am king. I am authoritative. I've got the power here. Well, the first way he does it in this text is through teaching. You might not expect that. You might think the first way is through that that casting out of the demon. No, the first display of Jesus' authority is actually the teaching that he does in verses 21 through 22. It says, right away, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. If you're not familiar Uh, With the synagogue, it would have been where Jews gathered to worship at that time and hear the word of the Lord. Uh, Think about it this way. It'd be like Jesus walking in on a Sunday morning here and teaching a sermon to us. We've come to hear the word of the Lord, to be instructed, and his hearers there that day in the same way were there to hear the word of the Lord and be instructed. And as Jesus began to teach, it tells us in verse 22, his hearers were astonished at his teaching, not because it was flashy not because it was hip, not because of anything other than this. He was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. Now, we don't have the transcript of what Jesus said that day. In fact, we don't have a lot of transcripts of what Jesus said when he taught. But what we're going to find throughout the book of Mark, this is just setting a precedent, that Jesus' words have so much authority, have so much power that he is shaping reality as we know it. So we don't have his transcript, but we have the reaction. They were astonished. We actually see at the end of this little section, verse 29, that news spread about him throughout the region of Galilee based on what's happening here in the synagogue. It's like Galilean Twitter is abuzz with this new preacher. It's, it's hashtag carpenter preacher spitting fire. Everyone is like, what? This is amazing. You ever heard a great preacher before? And you go, man, I just want to share quotes with all my friends and get a few likes out of it. This is so much more than that. This is so much more than that because they're comparing Jesus to the scribes. They're saying he has authority that's not like the scribes. Scribes were similar to their pastors, the one teaching the Bible, They're like, he's better than our pastor at teaching the Bible. There's something different. You see, the scribes could tell you about God, but Jesus is speaking on behalf of God, and that's the difference. The scribes could tell you about God. Jesus is God in the flesh, 
telling them, this is who I am. They weren't just hearing the words of their pastor, their scribe. They were hearing the words of their creator. And that's where the authority came. These were the words of the creator, the one who made them, the one who formed them, the one who shaped them, and now he's speaking to them. And they're astonished. They're amazed. There's power in this. Their attention was, was grabbed. Their affections were grabbed. Their direction was set based on the words of this teacher. Jesus is expressing his authority through his word. We're going to get back to that, but he still does that today. There's still authority in his word. We'll get back to that in our live it out section. But that's the first way he shows his authority. Secondly, he shows his authority in this exorcism. While he's teaching, he's interrupted by someone shouting at him. It says, someone who's possessed by an unclean spirit shouting out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, with our eyes here in 2023 in America, it's hard to see what's going on right now in this interaction. But let me take you back in time to Jesus' day as it relates to exorcisms. They actually weren't all that uncommon. Exorcisms happen somewhat regularly. There were people who went around and that was kind of their vocation, was to be exorcists. And the people believed that for an exorcist to be effective, they had to learn the name of the demon that was possessing the person. And they would use that name to gain power or authority over the demon. So as this demon here is shouting at Jesus, saying, I know who you are. He's naming him Jesus of Nazareth, the title, the Holy One of God. He's actually trying to flip the script on Jesus and take authority over Jesus. It's an intense moment. Imagine being there. You think, oh no, the demon has got the power over the teacher. What's going to happen here? And that's what Jesus says. I, I love this. It's one of my favorite parts of the Bible. 20, verse 25, Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. Jesus doesn't need the demon's name. He doesn't need a charm. He doesn't need a spell. He doesn't need anything else. He's just shut up and get out of here, dude. You're out of here. You're in charge here. You're not the authority here. Shut up and go. Get out of here. This is the authority of Jesus on display. It actually reinforces his teaching authority. When the people see this, they go, wow, they're they're amazed. Look at this. We were astonished at his teaching. Now we're amazed because not only does his teaching have authority, this power to cast out unclean spirits, it actually reinforces his authority. The people are there seeing that Jesus has authority over the spiritual world. Even the demons bow to him and they flee. Jesus says, get out of here. They say, bye, I'm out. And they're astonished, they're amazed, and word spreads about Jesus, but he's not done yet. Verse 29, as they leave the synagogue, they go over to Peter's house. That's Simon, is Peter, and his brother Andrew. And Peter's mother-in-law is sick. She's lying on a bed with a fever. And now we get to see Jesus' authority shown through his healing. So she's laid out with a fever, and Jesus grabs her hand and raises her up. Now, it is so matter-of-fact in our English Bibles and I'm not going to bore you with the Greek, but the Greek is, is more expressive of this fever that she has as she's laid out in bed. It's more like, it, it would be words that you would use to, to, to describe someone who's dead. It's like she's, I'll give you Tyler's translation. She's, this fever's hit her so bad, she's got one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel. Okay? In the words of Guns N' Roses, she's knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. 
She, she is not doing well, okay? It's not like, don't think of the fever like, you know, you had when you had COVID where it's like, man, this really sucks, but I'm okay. No, she is knocking on heaven's door. She's laid out. And the word in the Greek that's used for Jesus grabbing her hand and raising her up, it's actually the same word that's going to be used of when Jesus rises from the dead after his death on the cross. So she is knocking on death's door. She's got one foot in the grave. Jesus grabs her by the hand and raises her up to new life in power. So much so, so she goes on to serve them. Again, that is so understated. Because the whole town, as we read, is about to come out and receive healing and exorcism. So she goes from almost dead to so alive that she's preparing her home to host the whole neighborhood. She's running around, getting things ready, cleaning things up. Think about when you have a small gathering over. You're vacuuming the floor. You're dusting things you haven't dusted in so long. She's got the whole neighborhood coming over. She was dead in bed with a fever. She's now running around preparing her home. This is the power of Jesus. Just like with demons, Jesus looks at sickness and he says, get out of here. Stop it. Go. Go. Jesus has authority over the physical world, and he's expressing it here through this healing. And more people come out, it says, after the sun had set. It's the Sabbath. We won't get too much into this, but they're not allowed to carry their burdens on the Sabbath until the sun goes down. So they wait until the sun goes down, and they come out, and Jesus heals a ton more people and casts out a bunch more demons. Even though we've talked about this, and Mark, you've been with us, he doesn't really want his renown to go forward yet because it's not yet his time. And yet people are coming in need, and Jesus sacrificially, selflessly serves them anyway. He heals them. He casts out demons. He is expressing his authority over the physical world. When sickness sees Jesus, it just gets up and runs. There's power here. So that's how Jesus shows his authority. How does Jesus the king, use his authority. To what ends, might be another way to ask this question, does Jesus use his authority? And here's the simple answer. It's a word called shalom. You may have heard it before. It's a Jewish word. It's called shalom. And and what it means, it's, it's not just peace. It's more than peace. It's God's perfect peace when everything falls into his alignment as he ordered things. That's what shalom is. And Jesus uses his authority to bring about shalom, peace, perfect peace, just as God designed it, just as God planned it, just as God ordered it. How do we see this? Well, we see this in his teaching. Now, it can be deceptive here to think, well, you know, they say that he's teaching not like their scribes, and well, the scribes are probably just boring. The, the scribes needed, like the school trolling me here, this, this uh, picture of how much longer while someone's preaching. That's mean, by the way. Um, that, that's what the scribes needed. So people can just point to it. How much longer, dude? Come on. No, that's, that's not what's happening here. It's so much deeper than that. What the, the crowd in that uh, synagogue, what the congregation was sensing, is what Jesus would point out explicitly. There's, there's something broken here in the scribes' authorities. And, and he would say this later on in his life. It's captured in Matthew 23. I have it for, here for you to follow along. He says this. This is Jesus. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. What does that mean? Moses was the one who God gave the law to. And who then and Moses took the law and gave it to the people. He wrote the book of Deuteronomy. He takes the law and says, here's what God expects of you. And so Jesus is saying, the scribes sit in that chair. They have a, a, a level of authority because they sit in the chair of Moses, who God gave the law through. It says, therefore, in verse 3, do whatever they tell you and observe it. Honor them. They have authority. 
But there's something broken. But don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders. But they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. What is Jesus saying? He's saying the the law of God is not meant to be a heavy burden laid on someone's shoulders to crush them. If it's functioning that way, the person teaching it is doing it wrong, and the people hearing it are being exploited. They're being oppressed by a teacher who doesn't know how to handle the word of God properly, who doesn't know the proper authority. And Jesus would even go on to say this in verse 13, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. There is the difference in what Jesus is doing. There is the difference in Jesus' authority. The scribes were shutting the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. How does Jesus use his authority? To open the doors to the kingdom of heaven. Come in. Your creator wants you. Your creator loves you. Your creator wants you near. In fact, he's here teaching, come near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus starts his ministry saying it, and here's the extension of it. The kingdom of heaven is open. Come in. The scribes shut the door in your faces. Jesus uses his authority to invite people in. It's important that we get that. He also uses his authority to give life. We see this as pictured in the man who is demon-possessed. He is, his life is, is wrapped up. It is dead His life is over because he's possessed by this unclean spirit. It's even speaking for him. His life is ruined. He's dead. And yet Jesus comes using his authority to push back the evil, to push back the darkness, to push back the spiritual oppression, to give life. Jesus uses his authority as life giver, As the one who spoke all things into existence, he uses that authority to give life. Now, he certainly has the authority to snuff out life, but we see how he uses it. He uses it to give life. He's inviting you in to the kingdom of heaven. He's inviting you in to be made new by the power of the Spirit. This is how Jesus uses his authority. And lastly, he uses his authority to bring about restoration. And we see this beautifully pictured in this image of Peter's mother-in-law. She's dead. We're on death's door. She can't do anything. She's just laying there. She's got a fever that's got her bedridden. And yet Jesus grabs her by the hand and restores her. And what is her response? To serve Jesus. Her response is to walk into the nature of what she was created to do. You see, you and I were all created to glorify God, to honor God, to be his image bearers, to serve him as king. And yet sin has broken that in our lives to where we no longer want to honor God. We want to honor ourselves. We want to do what we want. And Jesus has come. He uses his authority to pick us up from the grave. Dead in sin is what the Bible calls us. To raise us to new life so that we can walk in the glory of our creator to serve him, to honor him to know him. You see, Jesus can do this because as we'll find in the book of Mark and you'll find throughout the gospels, he has the authority to forgive sin. That sin that laid you and I in the grave, only Jesus has the authority to forgive it. And he uses his authority 
for just that. He uses his authority to bring you back to life. This is the gospel, isn't it? Jesus uses his authority to come in the flesh, invite you into the kingdom of heaven, give you life, and restore you to the image bearer you were made to be. This is the good news of Jesus. That God in his authority and in his power could have smashed you, could have cast you down, but instead he comes to lift you up. It's the good news. And we see this contrast drawn between the demons, the sickness, even the religious teachers. There's a contrast drawn. They are under the borrowed authority of sin. You know, sin has authority, some level of authority in our lives. It's a borrowed authority. It's a partial authority, but it's still there. And all of these things represent that borrowed authority, the spiritual oppression, the sickness, the, the, the religious teachers who are not honoring God. And this is how the world uses its borrowed authority, oppression and destruction. The Bible says that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's how he uses his authority. That's what your sin that you're playing with right now, that's what it's doing. You're bringing death oppression, destruction into your life. That is the reign of sin in your life and in mine. But how does Jesus use his authority? The one who actually is king over all of this, who has ultimate authority, who is the creator and sustainer and the king, how does he use his authority? The exact opposite. He humbles himself to lift you up. He leaves heaven to invite you in. He will die on a cross so that you can have life. He will face destruction so that you can be restored. That's how the king uses his authority. Church, isn't that amazing? Colossians says that the rulers and authorities of this world were put to shame by Jesus. How? When he was on that cross dying for your sins. He was putting the rulers and authority to shame. For you and for me. He was laying aside his authority to use it to lift us up. Church King Jesus uses his authority to build you up, not cast you down. And we have to ask, how should the way that King Jesus uses his authority shape our lives? How do we live this out? What does this mean for you and me as we go about our week? I got two points here for you this morning. The first, I guess is kind of self-evident, but needs to be said. Submit to the lordship of King Jesus. Christian, submit to the lordship of King Jesus. If you are not a Christian, the application is the same for you. Submit to the lordship of King Jesus. All other authorities in your life are out to bring oppression and destruction. King Jesus, the true authority, is out to build you up. Remade in his image. Submit to his kingship. Now, as we read this text in Mark 2, I think for many of us, we like the part where Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Because we like the idea of Jesus as divine, fast-acting Tylenol, don't we? We like the idea of Jesus as just solve my problems. Come on, I got a fever. Divine, fast-acting Tylenol, just make me better. We like that picture of Jesus. But what about Jesus as authoritative Lord of your life? That's a harder picture, isn't it? 
But it's important that we hear this message to submit to the lordship of King Jesus, even if you are a Christian. Paul warns us in Romans 6, don't let sin rule over your body. Don't let it have authority. Don't let it reign over your bodies. Remember, Jesus is Lord. Submit to him. We talk about being purposely biblical. Here's really one really direct application of submitting to the lordship of King Jesus. What's your interaction with the word of God like? Are you still astonished by it? When you hear the words of Jesus, like these people in this synagogue did, are you astonished at his teaching? Do you hear the authority in it and feel the power in it? Do you jump at his word because you recognize that is my maker, that is my Lord? I'll give you an example. I have three dogs. One of them is deaf. She's been deaf since the day we brought her home. She was eight weeks old. We brought her home. She's deaf. We didn't know she was deaf when we got her, but we learned she's deaf. She can't hear a thing. That is my most obedient dog, and she can't hear a word. The most obedient dog I've actually ever had is that dog. You want to know why? She can't hear, and so her eyes are always on me. When we go out, she's watching me. Her eyes are on me all the time. Actually, this morning we had, just this morning I told the boys, I said, feed the dogs and let them outside. So they let her out of her kennel, and she's watching me. So they're over there. They can't get her attention because they can't, you know, they're saying, her name's Marshy. Marshy, Marshy. She's not obeying. You know, she's not listening to them. They're trying to rush her out. She's just looking at me. She's watching me, and I'm making coffee in the kitchen. So I had no idea. I'm like, guys, just get the dogs out, right? She's watching me. I'm her master. She's watching me. Her eyes are always on me. And all I have to do is point, and she goes. Most obedient dog I've ever had. She has limited senses. So the one she has, she uses to lock in on her master, and obey. Church, here's the reality. We have limited senses when it comes to God. Have you seen God's face? Have you held God's hand? Can you feel him? Can you see him? No, you can't. What do you have? You have his words. You have his words. Our ears should be ever tuned to the words of our master, our creator, our Lord. They should always be on him. We should always be listening Because without it, what do we have? We're lost. We need his words. Do you read your Bible? Do you you want to learn it? Do you want to know God better? Are you attentive when it's taught? What's your interaction with the word of God like? But here's the important thing. As we think about submitting to the lordship of King Jesus, we have to get this right, okay? It can't be because we view God as the annoying middle-aged man honking at us from up in heaven. That's not good motivation. It can't be because you feel like God's blocking you off from what you want to do, so you're going to use the word, okay, fine, I'll submit to the word, I'll read my Bible this week so that you give me what I want. No, that's not submission. That's not authority properly viewed. It can't even be because you recognize God is lawgiver. He is. And you just say, well, he's holding up the badge, so i got to listen. And it certainly can't be. Because you're worried God has his hand on the trigger and he's going to take you out. Those are not faithful ways to submit to the word of God and the lordship of Jesus. It's what we do, but we need to be corrective. And I think the Bible stands behind me on this. I'll give you a few passages to try and convince you. In Romans chapter one, 12, excuse me, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true worship. Paul is calling us, give up your lives for God. 
a living sacrifice. Give up your body. Obey him. Honor him. Submit to him as Lord. Why? In view of the mercies of God as seen in Jesus in his death and resurrection. Because of what Jesus has done, give him everything. Submit to him as Lord. Not convinced yet? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. It says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Submit to the Lordship of God. Give it all to him. Why? You were bought with a price. What was that price? The blood of Jesus, God the Son, poured out for you. This is why we submit. Let me give you a couple more because I don't feel like I'm done yet. Philippians chapter 2. Do I have that one? Yeah, Philippians 2. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Man, that's a call, isn't it? Be like Jesus. Okay, that's easy. (laughs) Submit, Submit to the lordship of Jesus so much so that you're like him. Okay, that's tough. Why? Who existing in the form of God, who had all authority as God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. He didn't exploit you or his authority. No, instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he came uh, came as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Be like Jesus. Why? Because he holds the gun? No. Because he holds the badge? No. Because he's annoying you? No. Because you want something out of him? No. Because he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's how he used his authority to buy you back. And I'll give you one more. One more. Hebrews 2. This is a good one. It says, for this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. All right, you're getting me, writer of Hebrews. What do we got to do? For if the message spoken by, through the angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just, just punishment. All right, there we go. There's the gun, right? There's the badge. Here it comes. Get us. Verse three, how will we escape if we neglect such a scary God? Wait. How will we escape if we neglect such authoritative laws? No, that's not it. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That's the motivation, church. Why do we submit to the lordship of King Jesus? Because he died for you. He rose again because the one who holds all authority took that and set it aside to die for you so that you might be invited into the kingdom of heaven to find life to be remade, church, submit to the lordship of King Jesus. Secondly, and I'll finish up after this, be a Jesus-minded leader. Be a Jesus-minded leader. Have this mind among yourselves. We just, the same attitude we read in Philippians 2. Be a Jesus-minded leader. Now, the assumption here is that you are a leader, isn't it? I'm assuming here that you are a leader, and you might say, I don't have any leadership roles. I'm not a leader. I'm not naturally gifted that way. I'm not a leader. Here's what I would submit to you. You have the spirit of the king of all creation living in you. King Jesus, his spirit lives in you. You are a leader. You might not want to be. Sometimes I don't want to be. You might not want to be, but you are a leader. And here's the reality, church. The people around us, the community around us, the world around us, your fellow church members around you need more Jesus-minded leaders. Because there are so many broken examples of authority in this world, aren't there? 
They're everywhere, everywhere we turn. It's a new scandal about someone abusing their authority. Everywhere, it's all over the place. It's so discouraging. If you just read the news and see, oh, there's a prosecutor who killed his family. Wow, he was supposed to uphold the law. He's killing his family. Wow, there's a pastor who abused his congregants. Wow, he was supposed to lead his church. What's up with that? There's a teacher who abused her students. What? What is Authority is broken, church. The world needs Jesus-minded leaders. Your home needs a Jesus-minded mother and father leading the family. Your kids need to look at your leadership, and they need to taste Jesus and the way that you lead. Your work needs a Jesus-minded boss. Your school needs Jesus-minded student leaders. Wherever you volunteer, they need Jesus-minded volunteer leaders. Certainly, the church needs more Jesus-minded leadership. Be a Jesus-minded leader. And we see that when we look at Jesus, that what it means to be a Jesus-minded leader is to express power under not power over. It's important that we get that. Jesus doesn't rain down his authority on you to crush you. No, he comes under and lifts you up, doesn't he? It's important that we get that. We want to look at Jesus' life and see that it means something for us. Yes, it's our means of salvation, but also it means something for us. I want to share this quote from you from Esau Macaulay. He says, Jesus' life was not just a means of salvation. It is a way of being human as the perfect human as God in the flesh. This is why we need the word of God so much, because we need to read it and say, yes, Jesus is my savior. Yes, he is my king. Yes, he laid down his life for me. And now the call is to be like him. So what is he like? And as we think about leadership, this is what he's like. He lays himself down for you. Be like him, church. People need it. I want to invite the band up. Church, King Jesus uses his authority to build you up, not cast you down. I know a lot of people have a hard time with authority these days. Authority is a, a tough topic. People view it different ways. But here's the thing that's important. The way that we follow says a lot about who we follow. In church, it's important for us to recognize that we follow a God who could have crushed us, but didn't. He was crushed for us. We follow a God who could have wiped us out, but instead was wiped out for us. We follow a God who could have used his authority to shout down threats and insults and any number of things. But that's what the world does. That's not what God does. He's different. We need to get that, and we should follow him in that. Amen? Let's pray, and we'll, take, we'll sing a song and then take communion. Let's pray together. Lord, it's hard to see your authority for what it is because we are so clouded by broken authority all around us. It's hard, Lord, not to impose our damaged expectations onto you and maybe even be suspicious of you, be suspicious of submitting to anything, even our creator. So Lord, we just recognize our need for you to work in our hearts to show us the true nature of who you are, to help us rejoice in that. Lord, you use your authority to give us space to rejoice in freedom. Help us to do that, Lord, and help us to follow you in that. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Let's stand. We're gonna sing a song and then we'll take communion. If you haven't gotten your cup and bread yet, 
you can do that while we sing the songs. We'll sing and we'll gather for communion. I really hope that you were encouraged by the sermon today. You can learn more about us at anchorchurchgilbert.com. We'd love to have you join our mailing list. You can do that on the website. If you have any questions for us about who Jesus is, please let us know through our website. I hope that you were encouraged.